Season three of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc., whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation for underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. After a successful not-for-profit career, today's guest found himself pivoting to an organization that made his community work possible. Now the CEO of Robinhood, Richard Bury is getting to support projects he loves and neighborhoods he loves. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Chance from MS356Q. Chance, it's so great to be with you today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My family is originated from Jamaica. I am in the seventh grade. I represent Community Voices Middle School. My favorite school subject is ELA. I do not know what college I want to go to yet. I hope to be a news reporter someday. A hobby that I have is to play games on my laptop and Xbox. An accomplishment I am proud of is being a good friend and also proud of getting on this podcast. Well, Chance, it sounds like you want to be a news reporter, so today is your very first show. So who are we going to be interviewing today? Richard Berry. Well, let's bring Richard in. Rich, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're very excited to have you on Formative. First of all, thank you, Rachel, for having me. It's great to meet you. And Chance, it's great to meet you as well. My wife is from Jamaica also. My family is from Panama, so I'm also the child of immigrants. So it's great to meet you. I'm going to turn the show over to Chance. And Chance, what's your first question for Rich? What inspired you to help other people in your life and career? I think one of the reasons why I like helping people is because, you know, I had parents who immigrated to America. It's a very scary thing to do in my mind to sort of leave where you're from and come to a different place and to do it because you want to make a better life for your family and then to spend your time here really devoted to other people. And so I saw a group in the family where like serving others was the model. I mean, I think also just growing up in East New York. East New York is a neighborhood where 70% of children are born to poverty. It's a great community, but it's also one with a lot of challenges. But I was lucky. I went to high school at Stuyvesant in Lower Manhattan. The courses I had access to, the only thing that I was getting at Stuyvesant that I wouldn't have gotten if I'd gone to my zone high school at the time. And so I also just had a really early experience of sort of seeing that, you know, different people in New York City get different kinds of resources and services based on where you live. And so I think that's a big part of why I do this work too. Okay. How long have you been the CEO of Robinhood? It's new. I've been here for a little over a year. A year? Yeah, a little over a year. I started in September a year ago. All right, that's cool. Can you explain a little bit more about what the Robin Hood Foundation does? Sure. So Robin Hood is an organization that exists to elevate New Yorkers out of poverty. That's our entire mission. And so what we do is every year, we go out to New Yorkers and ask them to support our work. So we raise over $100 million every year. And then we invest that money in effective poverty fighting organizations in New York City. Everything from early childhood programs to schools to housing to healthcare. And we also try to advance policies and advocate for laws and programs that we think will help. So we work very closely with government as well, trying to get government to do more of what works. 
Right, so really for us, the overarching idea that we want to put dollars to work in the way that matters and the program that we're confident will really make a difference in people's lives. And one of the great things about Robinhood is that our board of directors, they pay for our administrative costs so that when you as a donor give your money to Robinhood, you know that dollar is going to go directly to helping some amazing organization. That's what Robinhood does. Why do you think the programs that Robinhood helps are so important? Well, look, I think everybody in this world needs help. And I don't think of anything more important that anybody can do than trying to help others. So for me, you know, everybody's supposed to be able to have the chance to live the life that you imagine for yourself. And that's supposed to matter how much money you have or what the color of your skin is or whether you're gay or whether you're a woman or whether those things are supposed to matter, right? You know, that's sort of this idea of the American dream is that it makes a life for themselves based on their ability and their passions. The problem is that is not real. I mean, they call it a dream because it's a dream. It's an ideal. And we know that in this country, like where you live absolutely matters, how much money you have absolutely matters, the color of your skin matters, whether you're gay or straight or lesbian matters, whether you know, all those things matter, even though they're not supposed to. And so for me, like the work that we do is very similar. It's about trying to make it so that families and kids and people in any part of New York City can have access to the American dream. And so like when we are supporting organizations, you know, we're trying to help people have access to opportunity, excellent schools and educational opportunities and affordable quality housing that is safe and access to healthcare, be treated with dignity. That's the American ideal if people have those things. And then you unleash like people's talents. And so for me, it's important because it's by supporting great organizations that are trying to help people. Like that's how you get closer and closer to the dream. How can you make that promise more real for more people? What steps did you have to take to get your job right now at Robinhood? Well, for this job, I had to interview. I had to interview for the job. You know what the board of directors is? I heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So the board of directors is like a group of people who for a nonprofit are generally volunteers, and they run the organization in the sense that they are sort of legally responsible for the organization. One of their main jobs is to hire the executive director and then to help us do our job and also to hold us accountable for doing our job. And if we're not doing it well, to give us a hug, but to say we got to find somebody who can do the job well because the work is very important. And so there was a committee of the board, like five people who were in charge and they interviewed me a bunch of times. And, you know, at the time I wasn't looking for a job. I had a job that I had committed to, but, you know, they reached out to me and initially I was going to decline, but they reached out again and really made a very compelling case about how I could maybe do a lot of good here. And so ultimately I did the interviews and I was offered the job and I, and I said, yes. Is your current job your dream job? You know, it probably is my dream job. I mean, it's it did a lot of the things that really mattered to me. So for one thing, Robin Hood is focused on New York City to redo our work. And so it's a dream job in part because it's a way to really focus on a place that I care a lot about. Robin Hood is an organization that runs a lot of nonprofits around New York City that are helping young people, helping communities. And in most of my career, I've been running organizations where Robin Hood have been a donor and a funder. And so coming to Robinhood, it felt a little bit like coming home. Like I know 
many of the program officers, people who've worked here in the past, people who work here now, board members. So it feels very comfortable in that way. And it's the dream job, I think, because this is a really interesting and important time to be doing this work. You know, New York City have gone through a really challenging few years, as the whole country have. I mean, a lot of people are still struggling to put food on the table, to be able to afford a place to live, to make sure their kids have what they need to survive. Uh, I feel really blessed to have the opportunity to be at a place like this, at a time where I feel like we have a lot of good work to do, a lot of people to help. I really feel very lucky. I could pinch myself. Is your school your dream school? Like, do you feel good about going there every day? Do you feel excited about it? My school is not really my dream school. Mm-hmm. Like, the dream school that I want to go to is Harvard. I went to Harvard. You did? I did. Can I ask why Harvard is your dream school? It's just where a lot of people, like, that are, like, you know, Obama, like, he's the first black president. I do. I feel like like him going to Harvard is like, how do I say Him going to Harvard is like a way to show that other like people of color can like go into specialized high schools and not other, like, I don't know how to say it. I think I understand like it's a, it shows that what's possible, is that what you're saying? Like, particularly for black people. Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, so Barack Obama went to Harvard Law School and I didn't know him, but I went to Harvard College and I was there when he was there, although I didn't ever meet him. But I remember reading about him because he was the first black person to be president of the Harvard Law Review, which is a basically really prestigious thing at the law school. It's like, it was so amazing to then see how his career progressed, but also a career that sort of started in service, right? A career that started by working in neighborhood for him in Chicago. So he's definitely someone whose life provided me with a lot of inspiration. And uh, I will say that, like, you know, there are a lot of amazing people of color who went to Harvard College. Ketanji Brown Jackson, who's the first black woman to serve in the Supreme Court, also went to college the same time I did. And I think it's really inspirational because it makes me feel like, oh, wow, you can do anything in the world. You can serve, you can help, you can build, and you can create. Now, you don't have to go to Harvard to do those things. But certainly, I do think it's been lucky in my life that I went to a place where I was surrounded by so many inspirational people. Oh, yeah. What was it like when you went to Harvard? It was interesting. You know, it was challenging, to be honest with you. Like, for one thing, I was really young, so sometimes not feeling like I belonged there, not really knowing why I was there. But at the same time, like, I really grew to love it. And part of the reason why I grew to love it had really to do with the people who I met and the activity that I got involved in. Kind of like near edge, like working in an after-school program and wound up starting a summer camp with some friends for the kids who live there and really falling in love with the community and falling in love with the other students who I was doing the work with. And so one thing that Harvard helped me do is really find my vocation. And so once I found my community and found my thing, it wound up being a great place. I get you. Okay, why are after-school programs important to kids like me in middle school? Oh, I just think it's so important for so many different reasons. Like, I think one of the great things about middle school after-school program is that after-school programs can help you just sort of figure out what you like. Sometimes it's hard in school. Like sometimes you might be taking subjects and it might feel hard. It might not be what you love, or it could be structured in a way where you can't really explore what you want to explore. So I think sometimes after-school programs can help people find their passions. I think after-school programs can be very important if you need extra help with school. Like they can be a place to get tutoring and extra support. 
can be a great place to build relationships. And particularly if your parents are working, your caregivers are working, having some place to go that, you know, is safe and you can explore things, get help with your work, learn different talents, spend time with your friends, but do it with like adults who care about you and who are passionate about kids. That can be a magic thing. I think everybody understands that like, it's not enough to have great classes. You got to have activity that sort of spark your imagination. And so really thing that I'm very proud of is that when I worked in city government, I got to work on expanding the city's after school program for middle school students and making sure that middle school students all around the city would have the opportunity to go to great after school programs. So I'm glad you're in the after school program. I think every kid should have access to programs like this. To be honest, the only reason I go to after schools is just to meet new people. I think that's a perfectly great reason to go. You still get to do cool things. I've never hosted a podcast before. You're hosting a podcast. You never know where things will take you. You helped bring Universal Pre-K to New York City. Why do you think that is important? What does it mean for people in the city? Yeah, I mean, it's important for a bunch of reasons. You know, I don't know if you know this, but like 90% of a person's brain development happens before they're five years old. That means for babies and kids, every day your brain is growing. And so those years are so important. And so one of the things we know from research is that when you have a small child, has rich experiences where people are talking to babies and playing with babies and they're being exposed to colors and stimuli, like those things can have a tremendous lifelong impact. So we know that kids who go to really great early childhood programs, they do better in school, they're healthier, they earn more in their lifetimes. Even some research now show that even their kids do better because their parents went to great early childhood programs when they're kids. So on the one hand, it's just critical for early childhood development for all the things, brain development, social development, those enriching activities make a tremendous impact. So that's part of it. It's also really helpful to go to school. I always say that the people who love preschool the most are kindergarten teachers because the kids who come to kindergarten from preschool programs, they are more mature. They know how to interact with adults and with peers. They know how to share more. And so it just gives you a really great head start. And it's also very important for families because, you know, pre-kindergarten is also childcare. And childcare is really expensive in New York. It's not very accessible. Some neighborhoods don't have very much of it. But to be able to tell the parents of every four-year-old and many three-year-olds that if you want a place that is safe and high quality for your kid to go, we have a place for you. It saves families a lot of money. It preserves their peace of mind. For a lot of parents, they can go to work and maybe they wouldn't be able to go to work before because they didn't have anyone to watch their kid. And now they can go to work and earn a living and help pay the bills. So I would think it's very important. And I'm really proud that I got to be a part of it. Who inspired you when you were growing up and why? So a ton of people. My parents inspired me and my mom taught high school in our neighborhood. And so I often saw how people, like former students would react to her and come up and thank her and really got to see every day, like what a difference an educator can make in the lives of people. And so she was a big role model. My dad too, was always active in the community and stood with a great role model in that way. There are teachers who inspired me. I think about Mrs. Virginia, who was my homeroom teacher in middle school, who just helped me feel like I was special, like I was smart, that I could do things that I didn't think I could do. Or Dr. Rothenberg, high school math teacher, who made sure I took like the most challenging math classes. 
in high school, Mr. Prescott, who was actually grew up with my dad, who was my teacher, a chorus teacher, who was just an amazing person and role model, who was always very elegant and just made me feel like, well, I want to carry myself in that way. And I think about world figures, people who sort of showed me that, you know, people can really change the world. So, you know, people like Martin Luther King, people like Malcolm X, Frederick Douglass, Denmark Vesey, and encountering people who are sort of larger than life figures, but then reading about their lives and realizing that these are just regular people who were willing to stand up and fight for what's right. And many of them were young, people like John Lewis, who was in his early 20s when he was leading the fight for voting rights in the South, in places like Selma, Alabama. And then there are people who I've known in my life, who I've gone to school with, who I've been friends with, who just done amazing things. People who are leaders in politics and just sort of seeing how people have had an impact in the world. People who've started nonprofits that I admire or businesses that I admire. I've been really lucky that I feel like I have lots of Real models, and sometimes it can be a little intimidating because I look around and see, oh my gosh, these people are doing all these amazing things. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not doing as much as they are. I'm not having the impact on the world that they are. But at the same time, it's just really inspiring to see people who you know, who you can meet for lunch, who'll answer your call, and just reminding you that regular people change the world and that, you know, we can be those regular people who change the world too. So Chance, I have a question for you. Who are some of your role models? One of my role models are Barack Obama because he's like the first black president and he shows you like you can do anything to if you put your dreams to it. When you were 10, what did you imagine being an adult would be like? When I was 10, I just wanted to have fun with my friends. I don't think I had any idea what being an adult looked like or or could even imagine what it meant would mean to be an adult. The idea of being like 20 years old seems so ridiculous and so far away. I don't think I had any idea what it meant to be an adult. When you think about being an adult, what do you think of? I think of just paying bills and just going to work. <laughs> there was a lot of paying bills and a lot of going to work. But hopefully not only that, like, you know, being an adult is in some ways, I think, hopefully being able to make choices, like choices about how you spend your time, who you love and care for, what you do to make an impact on the world. What, what happens when you mess up or make a mistake at work? So here's the thing. Everybody makes mistakes, a lot of them. So it's impossible not to make any mistakes, or at least I haven't met the human being who has not made a ton of mistakes. I think where people get in trouble is when they don't admit they made the mistake, so sorry, take responsibility for the mistake, and try to learn from it and do better. I don't think the problem is in making mistakes. The problem is in hiding mistakes or blaming other people for the mistakes or just making the same mistake over and over again without trying to get better making the mistake. But I think if you approach life like you're not going to make a mistake, then you're going to be a miserable human being. Sometimes it's hard, like when you're the boss, sometimes you feel like you're supposed to know the answer and supposed to ask questions, but I try really hard not to let that stop you from asking questions and getting help when I need it. But when you make mistakes, you say you do, you apologize, you own it, and you try to move forward. And I think it actually makes you a better boss and the people around you recognize, oh, we can make mistakes too. Because if, you, if you're working and everybody's afraid of making mistakes and nobody actually does anything. Like the only way not to make a mistake is not to move, not to act, not to take a chance, not to do anything. The key is to like own it 
learn from it. Yeah, that's what my mom says sometimes. Like, when I make a mistake, he says, like, like don't lie and just own up to your mistake. You won't get into as much trouble. And I normally don't own up to my mistakes, but, like, sometimes like, I do. The advice I have is just, like, don't, like, lie if you did something bad. Just, like, say that you did it and just explain why you did it. And then your parents will really get or your boss or your higher-ups will really get mad at you that much. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Do you ever get a chance to relax? And if so, what do you like to do? Yeah, I try to try have time to relax. I love to read. I love to watch TV. I love to go to the movies. I went to see, well, Wakanda Forever yesterday. I like to go to like shows, to Broadway shows and plays. I love to go. I love to eat. I love to go to nice restaurants and good and interesting food. I love to sing karaoke. Back to the singing thing. So I love karaoke. I don't do it that much, but I would love to do it more. I love like listening to music. I like comedy clubs. Again, I don't go that often, but I, something I love to do. So I love spending time with friends, which can be hard because we're really busy. Yeah, what I like to do to relax, I just like to play games or like talk to my friends. If uh-huh. I'm like, if I'm like busy or something. Like video games? Yeah, video games. And just like sometimes I actually like to bother people. Like it's fun for me to bother people. How do you mean by bother people? I go to my friend's house sometimes and I just annoy them for fun. Sounds like fun. What kind of music do y'all like? So one person who I'm really obsessed with right now is Brandy Carlisle. You guys know Brandy Carlisle? I listen to lots of different kinds of music. I listen to hip hop and R and B and soul and rock and roll and Motown. I think of Brandy Carlisle is a little bit country. So it's not my usual music. I just love her voice and I just love the messages behind her song. I just find her very amazing. Oh, and I love Dolly Parton. That's another person who is sort of country music, which I don't really normally listen to, but I love Dolly Parton. What type of hip hop do you listen to? For me, the best era of hip hop were the 90s. So Notorious B.I.G., Jay-Z, Nas, Busta Rhymes, Tribe Called Quest, Queen Latifah, like that sort of classic era of hip hop is what I love the most. My kids have started to introduce me to some like newer music. So there's one guy, which I can't really say his name, Joey Bad, and the curse word at the end. So my sons have helped me start to learn a little bit more music that I didn't really know, but the music that I listen to is probably all, the hip hop I listen to is probably all like generally at least 20 years old. Do you have any pets? I don't have any pets. My kids have always wanted pets, but I think they're just a lot of work. And I'm kind of intimidated by having to take care of another being. I grew up with pets. I grew up with dogs and I love dogs, but it's too much work. How about you? Do you have pets? Uh, There's a dog over my aunt's house, but I have to take care of it when I'm over there. It's like they have a break when I'm over their house. So I have an extra responsibility. Do you like taking care of it? Yeah, it's a puppy. So it's not really that much work. Puppies are cute. What is your family like? So I'm married. My wife is named Deborah. I have two sons, one of whom is in college and one of whom is in high school in the 11th grade. So I have two sisters. My parents are still alive. And so I have lots of 
uh, cousins and my wife have a lot of cousins. Both have big families, and I have a great family. Yeah, me too. Um, I have, like I said, I had six siblings altogether. Mm-hmm. Like all my grandparents are alive. My my mom and dad are still alive. I have like, I don't know how many cousins I have. If I have to count, yeah, I have like a lot of aunts. Yeah, like half of them are not even my real blood aunts. I have those two. I have those two. My mom's friends. We had to, I had to call her my aunt. It's because of respect. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I definitely have those two. Do you have a bucket list? Like, what's on it? Well, I really love to travel, and I haven't been traveling as much as I would like. So, if I had a bucket list, it'd probably be more about just places I want to visit. To be honest, at this point, I've never been to China or Japan, which I'd like to go to, or Vietnam, or sort of the Far East. I would love to go visit. I haven't been to Western Africa. I'd love to spend time there. I love trains. The idea of taking like a long train ride, like taking a train ride across the country, is like something that I think I really love. The problem is I don't think my wife or kids would love it, and so. I don't really have anybody to do that with. But yeah, my bucket list would probably be about figuring out where are the places I really want to go, I haven't been to yet, and going there and exploring and eating my way through places. What's your most favorite out of all of them? I think I'd be most excited about visiting Japan. I think I'd like to visit Japan for the places I've never been to before. Maybe Japan. Or places that I've been to before, probably maybe Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. Yeah. My dream place to go to is Japan. Mm. Because, like, the shows I watch is, like, based off of it. I just want to, like, go there to see the anime? Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite anime show? I don't have a favorite. My favorite is Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan? It's good. I think it already ended. It did. I haven't seen the end of it. I spoiled it for myself. Don't spoil it for me. I haven't seen the end of it. Do you have one last question for Mr. Bury? Do you have any phobias? Like anything you're scared of? I'm afraid of heights. I don't like to be too high. I don't like to be on ledges. That's my main fear. I wouldn't call it a phobia, but I get I can get really nervous when I have to speak in public, which I have to do a lot, actually. So I guess I'm nervous a lot. <laughs> um... But every time I give a speech, I get nervous. And probably in a given week, I'm probably giving a couple of speeches at least most weeks. But I wouldn't call it a phobia. It's just something I get very nervous about. But real phobia, like heights. I'm also afraid of heights. And like, I'm still nervous, like speaking, like on the podcast right now. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thank you. Doing a great job. It's scary. It's scary to talk to people listening to you. It's You don't want to mess up. You want to say the right thing. You want to sound smart. It's a lot. This can be very stressful. But you are doing a great job. Well, Chant, it's great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. So, Rich, if you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you were 13, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself knowing what you know now? This maybe is a corny answer, but to spend more time taking advantage of the opportunity to learn new things. Like when you're in school, and you'll especially see this when you go to college, you sort of have this like really wild opportunity to study anything you want. You want to learn a language, you want to learn how to code, you want to try making a movie. You can kind of do anything. But I think oftentimes we get so focused on like what we're supposed to be doing, or we get focused on hanging out with friends. Friends are important. I don't mean to say it's not important, but like when you're in school, 
you kind of have a chance to like explore things on the whim and seeing what you love. And I think if I could go back in time, I would take that more seriously. And I would just take different random classes. I would try different things. I would join 50 clubs. I would just do all this stuff to really enrich and open my my mind instead of my passion. That's probably the biggest advice I would give myself. What do you think about that, Chance? I think it's very inspiring. Well, Chance, I want to thank you. You've been an excellent co-host. And Rich, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on Formative. We're so grateful. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to meet you and Chance. Good luck with seventh grade. Thank you. Good luck with Robin. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Chance from 356Q in Queens. He was assisted by Hannah prescott Eberly. Season three of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.